0: Good morning, Hagerstown Church and Facebook friends. I want to come to you this morning with some encouragement from the Word of God and uh, a few updates. One of the things we talked about last week as a church was just asking the question that in our new rhythms, how can we use this new rhythm? How can we leverage that for the sake of the gospel? And how can we stir up? love and good works and the desire to do those things in our brothers and sisters. And so Pastor Tim and I have spent some time discussing this and just praying through how we can help you and equip you, and I'm sure you've done the same thing this week. Maybe even have some interesting stories. By the way, we'd love to hear about those. But uh, four things that we wanted to offer for you, it's something that we've come across, and that's four things that you can do. So I want to share this with you now. The first thing that you can do, and, I'm, and by the way, this comes from the fact that in a time like this, as we're quarantined. Um, whether you're self-quarantining or whatever, you the list of things that you can't do seems to just probably be getting longer and longer and longer. And instead of listing out the things that uh, you can't do as the short list, the things that you can do has now become the short list. I and mean, while that's really it's true, um, it doesn't really limit us either. There's still we have to be creative, but there are still many things that we can do as a people of God to encourage one another to love and good works. And so I just want to encourage you and offer some. T- you this morning. The first one is this. Um, While we are quarantined to our homes, we can still worship in our homes. So here this morning, it's the Lord's Day, and we're able to worship the Lord. And so whether you're by yourself, with a a family, um, or, or, or somewhere in between that, you're still able to worship the lord this morning so i want to encourage you to spend some time on um, what does family worship look like what does personal worship look like there's three things really that it comes down to there's a resource that will be available um, in the in the comments below and so check this out but um there's a resource that we talk about a lot and it it, it offers these three things um, reading the scriptures praying together and singing together these three things really constitute and have for years and years and years for for decades and, and even millennia um they've uh, basically, defined Christian worship together. And so, just partake of those three things this week. And even even today, after this is, is over, after this um, uh, broadcast is done, spend some time as a family or even by yourself just reading the Word of God, singing about the Word of God, and then praying informed by the Word of God. And so, worship in your home. That's something that you can still do. It's still on the list of things that's approved, right? Another thing that I would encourage you to consider is checking in on your neighbors. Now, whether, whether that actually looks like making a phone call or knocking on their door or leaving a card, whatever it is, I'm going to encourage you to take this time um, to check in on your neighbors. No doubt you know of people in your community and maybe even on your street that uh, have needs. And this would be a great time for you to check on them. We actually have made available a resource for our members and, and attenders. It's just a little card that says on the front of it, how can I help? And on the back, it has a little bit of information. And there you can just write your what information you'd like to share with your neighbor, just your name, maybe the house that you live in, maybe your phone number, offering to them if they need help with groceries or running errands or whatever it is, that you'll be able to help for them. Maybe it's just prayer. And again, if you need those, a link to that will be made available in the link, or um, access to that will be made available in a link below. And so check for that as well. And so we can worship in our homes, we can check on our neighbors, we can also pray. Oftentimes this is something, this is the last thing that we do, but it shouldn't be. Um, while we're quarantined in our homes, we can still get on our knees, um, both positionally or even in our hearts, and, and ask the Lord to work. Some things that we can ask the Lord to work in is, one, that he would deliver us from the pestilence, that he would free us from this sickness and virus, that, he would, that we'd shut it down. Now, the Lord is sovereign over this, and he can surely do that, and so I would encourage you that, that you pray and ask that he would. But in addition to that, we can also be praying for our leaders, both regionally and nationally. This is a difficult time. This is... I wouldn't say unprecedented, but it's in our time. It's unprecedented. So there's a lot of difficult decisions that are being made by those who are in leadership, and so just be in prayer that God would give them wisdom, and that He would also just give them a peace, and that they would be informed by uh, the truths of His Word. That would be a great thing for you to pray. And there's many other things. Of course, you can pray for those who are in need on your street. And then, lastly, I want to encourage you in this way: is to share your devotion. And we, as the people of God, we have a hope that is in us that passes all understanding. That's transcendent of the, uh, the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And so as you hear from the Lord, as you spend time daily in his word, as you're encouraged by a brother or a sister in your life group or D group, whether it's, that's virtually or, or, or talking to each other through a glass window, whatever it is, if you're encouraged through the word of God, would you share whatever it is in some form or fashion uh, via social media? That, this would be a great time to do that. I would love to hear what God's doing. If you're a member of our church, I'd love to hear what God's doing in your heart and life and how he's using this opportunity to shape you and, and sanctify you even, and to grow you. Um, but maybe even if you're not a member, we'd still love to hear. If you, don't, if you don't even know who we are, we'd still love to hear what God's doing in your life. And so you can post or uh, share a message, direct inbox us, whatever that is. That's a little bit of a, uh, just a few ways that you, uh, even though you're quarantined, even though you're, a, you're holed up, if you will, there's a, still a few ways that you uh, can, can, can share the love of Jesus um, in now and your present circumstance. With that behind us, I do want to enter into a time of studying the Word together. And so as a church, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark, and we want to continue to do that. And so this morning we find ourselves in Mark chapter 1, and starting in verse number 21. And if you're about to tune out, I just want to grab you real quick and, uh, and, and share with you the, the, the sermon in a sentence, if you will, or the overall gist or thrust of what this text is about this morning. So if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this. The words of Jesus are different than any other words. Only his teaching can bring lasting transformation and true liberation. This is what we're going to read about this morning in this text. This is what the Spirit of God has inspired the the author here, Mark, to demonstrate to us through the life of Christ. The words of Jesus are different than any other. Only his teaching can bring lasting transformation and true liberation. And so with that said, let's read the text this morning. Verse 21 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark. The Bible says this, And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere, throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you this morning recognizing that we need your help. Jesus, we need to hear your words. And this morning we actually have. We need your words to experience transformation in our lives. Father, there's not a one of us here this morning that would honestly be able to say that they do not need transformation. They don't desire that. On some level and in some way, they've even by your grace been shown that they have room to grow. So we pray this morning as we look at your word that we would experience, would feel this same thing that was experienced this morning as Jesus meets on the Sabbath. The attendees would sense, as the, we would sense, as they did, I should say, this desire and this need to be transformed, and the possibility being transformed as you speak jesus father no doubt there's some of us this, this morning that need to be liberated whether it be from the oppression of a demon or some evil force some false ideology or some false gospel that's held us and captivated us father would you give us liberty from that would you free us just as jesus did this demon this morning Father, we come to you this morning knowing that we need your help and we ask you for it. I pray that your church would be edified, and encouraged this morning as a result of your word. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Beginning there in verse 21, it says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So Jesus now has his crew. If you back up a few verses, we see that Jesus calls his first disciples in verses 16 and a few verses following. He's got this crew. Before in the wilderness, he was alone. And at his baptism, it was just Jesus, party of one. But now he has his disciples, and he's taking them with him. Why? Because he is training them to be fishers of man. And we can't forget that. We need to keep that in mind. And so now Jesus has called his disciples, and then he enters into the the time, to the land of Capernaum. The city, I should say, of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a town there on the Sea of Galilee, and it's one of the larger towns. It's surrounded by quite a few other smaller fishing towns. But here we have Capernaum, and Jesus enters into that, and it's, it's a city that's large enough to have a synagogue. And we won't talk much this morning about what a synagogue actually is, but I would encourage you, you ain't got much better else to do, I would encourage you to do a little bit of research on what a synagogue is and when they actually entered into um, being into, into history and when they began to be used here Jesus comes to uh, the, the synagogue there in Capernaum. And uh, they, the Jews would use this on the Sabbath day both for prayer and for instruction and teaching. And it would be used throughout the week for other purposes as well. But on, on the Sabbath day, it was for prayer and for instruction. And so Jesus, with his disciples, enters in on the Sabbath day to the synagogue there in Capernaum. And uh, as it was common, if, if there was a traveling teacher, a traveling rabbi or, or, or scribe even that was um, there in town, they would oftentimes ask them to, to share. And so Jesus, with his uh, crew here, with his disciples is, and recognized as a teacher, is asked there, or, and maybe he offers it himself, but he, anyway, he, he's presented the opportunity to share and to speak. So as the the, the method was, they would read some scripture, and then there would be some instruction about that, an explanation of, similar to what we're doing even this morning. And so Jesus, uh, no doubt, stands up, reads from the text as was his uh, custom, and uh, then he will offer some teaching on that. And then in verse 22 it says, They were astonished, though, at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes, this is really an interesting statement, that Jesus opens up his mouth and he begins to teach, and it's not like what anybody had heard before. It's not like the scribes. He begins to teach them. You might ask, well, what is he teaching them? Well, I, w- I would say, well, remember, we're in context. We're just We're just taking it paragraph by paragraph and verse by verse. But if you go back to verses 14 and 15 of this chapter, it says what Jesus is preaching. This is the main point of his message. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe the gospel, and so no doubt Jesus, in some form or fashion, is is speaking either this or something quite in line with this. As he speaks, as he teaches, something happens in that synagogue. People's jaws hit the floor. They begin to catch flies. The scribes, the the carpenters, the rulers, everybody was locked into Jesus into what he was saying. It was. Quite an interesting time. There's ice cream melting all over the hands, right? Popcorn just dropping, flies being caught in mouths. They were shocked. But what was actually happening? What was interesting about Jesus' teaching? What was so different? Well, it was customary for portions, as I said a moment ago, of the Old Testament, of the law, of the prophets, to be read and discussed and taught there in the synagogue on that day. Jesus wasn't reading some lost portion of Scripture to them. He wasn't giving them some new information that they had never heard before. What was he doing? Those gathered that morning, they knew the scriptures. The scribes that were gathered there that morning, the rabbis, they, they knew well the writings. But something about Jesus' teaching was different. And it says here that Jesus spoke with authority and not like the scribes. That's saying something. The scribes, they were the Jewish authority, if you will. They were the experts of the law. The scribes, they didn't have any authority in and of themselves other than of the scriptures. They only really referenced other scribes and other rabbis, and their teaching was really was based on tradition. So they didn't have any authority of their own. It was based on others. It was based on the, the scriptures, and they, but ultimately they were relying on tradition and secondhand authority. And in contrast, Jesus that day He is speaking of his own will and own accord, and he is speaking with his own authority. Remember what Mark tells us about Jesus in in, in chapter 1, verse 1. He tells us that he is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. In other words, he's saying that he is God in the flesh, as we'll see. So Jesus is God in the flesh, and when he speaks, it's the very words of God. Remember the power of the Word of God. In the beginning, God created the world and everything in it by the Word of His power. He literally spoke things into existence. What do we know about the Word of God? Well, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 says this, that the Word of God is living and active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What, what Hebrews 4.12 is telling us is that the Word of God, it, it pierces, it, it, it cuts into us, and we can't hide from it. And it discerns us, it separates everything out, it's, it's sharp enough to do that. And it's living, and it's active, it's powerful, it has authority Again, in contrast to the words of man, the words of God, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so Jesus, here, he is God. The same power encapsulated in the Father's decrees are also in Jesus's. And I don't want you to think for a moment that Jesus is teaching something new. It's, it's even said here that, that he teaches something new, possibly. Jesus actually isn't teaching anything new, and not, at least not new in the sense that it's contrary to what the scribes would have taught. It's not contrary to the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't come to abolish the Old Testament or, or the law or the truths found therein. No, he came to fulfill it. He came to fulfill it. And so there's a consistency in the Godhead amongst the Trinity. There's a consistency in truth. And there's an equalness in power and authority So Jesus here, not speaking something new, but with the same power and authority that God himself, the Father, would speak, Jesus is speaking. That's not like the scribes. The scribes have no power. The scribes have no authority. You see, that's interesting. The scribes thought that that they had power to eternal life. And they searched the scriptures, Jesus says. But they also rejected, we'll see, throughout Jesus' life, they rejected the one of whom scripture spoke so they held tightly to the old testament to the law that prophesied about the messiah and jesus is the fulfillment of that but they rejected the one of whom the prophecies spoke the one of whom scripture spoke and the one who spoke scripture this morning you may be one that knows what the bible says maybe you're a member of our church maybe you're just tuning in and you recognize What the Bible teaches and and says. And maybe you can even quote it back to me this morning. And that's great. That truly is great. But it's not enough if you don't know of whom the scriptures speak. You see, the scribes were rejecting actively Jesus, they were divorcing the one who spoke scripture from the scripture. There was no power in the scribes' message, the scripture that they held that they would proclaim and then explain. It would be explained in a way that was absent of Jesus. It was absent of the gospel. It was absent of the, of the understanding of the, of the working of God and their day and the kingdom of God that was present before them. There are a myriad of teachings in our day today that seem to be powerful. They seem to be helpful to those who hold them. But when you actually compare those teachings with the teachings of Jesus, there's no comparison. We recognize that they're void of power. For instance, there's many religions today that would say, do the best that you can, and if you do the best that you can, only then, and and, and assuredly then, that you will receive a pardon from God for all the mistakes that you have made in the past. But that's not good news. It's bad news. That's, that says that uh, th- there's always something that you could have done. There's always something in the future that you'll be able to do that's better than what you've done. And so doing the best that you can, we, none of us can do the best that we can. So what's proclaimed then to be good news actually becomes bad news. And this is what the rabbis were teaching. Fulfill the law. Do what you can. Do all that you can. Measure up. The trouble is, you know it in your life, and I know it in mine, that we can never truly measure up. So, try harder is not good news. This week, I was actually speaking with my my one of my sons, and he had recently been reading in First Thessalonians, and we were talking about, well, what, what does that mean? What, what are you to do as a result of What, what is the Lord teaching you as a result of, of this passage? He wrestled with it, and he said, you know, I think it, it means that I need to be spending more time in my journaling and in my in my daily readings, and not let it pile up into to one day, and really really focus in on that. And, and as we sh- as he shared that with the D group later on, a few a few of us that meet uh, virtually at the moment, and, and just talk about what the Lord is doing in our lives through the reading of His Word, as as Eli shared that, um, we thought, you know, that's true, that's great. We didn't want him to leave thinking that he would just have to try harder. We wanted to remind him of that very passage that he was reading in 1 Thessalonians. It was reminding us all that Jesus was already working these things in our lives, including his life. And so while we are to try harder, we also recognize that Jesus is presently working in and through us. And so the command that we fulfill all of the law ourselves, that we obey every command that God has given to us, is is impossible that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. It's not good news if we try in our, or to accomplish it by ourselves. The good news is that Jesus has accomplished that on our behalf. And this is the good news. This is what the scribes were missing. The power that Jesus had, the authority that he had as he spoke to them, pointed to this very fact. And so are we to try harder? Yes. But is that truly the good news? Is that all that we have? No, it's not. I'm going to skip back just for a moment to that term, astonished. It says that they were, a, they were all astonished. Well, what does that even mean? And to what level were they astonished? Well, we talked about the fact that their jaws were on the floor. That's a bit uncommon, right? Don't live like this. It's not every day that you hear that the scribes and everybody present in the synagogue was astonished. There was an effect that was present in Jesus' teaching that was absent from the teaching in the scribes. You now it's probably a sore subject for me to bring this up for, you, for us this morning. But I want to talk about it anyway. You're probably driven to this at this point in your life if you're a sports fan. But basketball, right? How many of you guys have ever watched or gals have watched basketball games or recordings from the 90s? maybe oftentimes they'll get posted on YouTube or you'll find it on Facebook or something like that and you'll come across and you're like man the, the graphics were just terrible they were they really left quite a bit to be desired as you watch you try to watch Michael Jordan uh, you know really dunk with authority but if that's all you're ever used to if you're used to watching pre-recorded games the NBA and from 1993 on an old tube TV that you had to click the dial on the front. If that's what you're used to, then there's plenty of power in that. There's plenty of goodness in watching that. You know, if you're like me, this is that's my that's my generation's uphill both ways through snow barefoot, right? It's the fact that we had to watch television that was as unclear and grainy as it was in those days, and that, that's what we had to deal with. Those were the games that we had to watch. I remember the first time that I ever walked into a a real NBA stadium and was able to watch a a real basketball game. It was in 2001. Walked into the MCI Center hoping to to watch Michael Jordan, the legend, play basketball there with the Wizards. I had never seen anything like that before in my life. So as we walk into the stadium, I wasn't expecting it to be as large as it was. I wasn't expecting the, the crowds to be as, as, as huge as they were or as loud as they were. I wasn't expecting the, the players to be as tall as they were. I wasn't expecting the, 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 the energy to be as strong and, and palpable as it was. So if you compare the, the, what I had experienced on a tube TV in a pre-recording that was grainy, if, you, if I were to compare that to the experience of being present and seeing it was, there was no comparison, and truly, I could say that I was astonished. my jaw was on the ground. I was overwhelmed. Something changed. And in a similar way, those in the synagogue that morning, as they heard Jesus open his mouth, they, it was familiar in the sense that he was speaking of the same law. He was teaching from the same Bible, and yet at the same time, they were shook. They were overwhelmed. They were stimulated in the sense that they had never heard this type of teaching before and they could sense the transformational power that was present in Jesus' words. You see, they began to recognize that Jesus' words had the power to change them. I want to give you two facts about Jesus' words. I already shared, uh, alluded to them in our main sermon in a sentence this morning. Here's the first fact, that when Jesus speaks lives are transformed. When Jesus speaks, lives are transformed. I can't help but notice that amongst the, the crowd gathered there that, that morning, amongst the, the carpenters and the fishermen, and the scribes and the rabbis, gathered were Jesus' disciples as well. And as far as we know, this is their first Sabbath, Sabbath outing with their new master. Only a few days ago, they were fishermen, but now they are fishing for men are following Jesus. And can I tell you something? That morning, I believe that as Jesus spoke, that something began to happen in their lives. They began to be transformed by the teaching of Jesus. You see, these men over the next three years will be slowly trained, changed and transformed from rough and tough and gruff fishermen to the very servants of God who heralded the message of the good news. Just look at Peter. A, a few verses ago, we find him there. He's tending to nets and he's fishing and Working there on the, on, on the sea, by the end of this very book, after three years of Peter's time with Jesus, he'll be a different person. He'll be transformed. And I believe that that morning there in the synagogue, Peter himself began to hear the, the Son of God, the creator and sustainer of the entire universe, and his very existence began to expound the truths of God, preach of the gospel and good news of God. He began to sense this rumbling. He was astonished himself as he saw the transformation begin to take place in his own life. So not only are Jesus' words different and with authority, but they have the very power that you need to be transformed. And many of you can testify to that. You can say that the words of God, the words of Jesus, recorded in Scripture, have been life-changing and transformational. You can even say, along with the the, the writer of Romans chapter 12, That you have been not conformed to the world, but you've been transformed by the Word. That's my prayer for you this morning. And if that's your hope and prayer in your own life, that you be transformed, I want to tell you, the transformation takes place as you receive the words of Jesus. As you receive the words of Jesus. So that's the first fact that I want you to see this morning, that that Peter, I'm sorry, that Mark wants us to see, and that the Spirit of God wants you to see in the text this morning, that Jesus' words are transformational. His words are transformational. Let's continue, though, working through this text. There's another point that I want to bring out. There's another fact that we need to see. Verse 23, it says, And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with, the un, with an unclean spirit. I want to give you, a, uh, just park here for a moment and give you a little bit of an understanding of what's taking place Four four truths quickly that I want to talk about this passage. And the first is is that demons are real. Demons are real. We live in a day and age where we want to argue as to whether this is true or not true. Jesus himself uh, affirms for us in this text that demons exist. This is is what is meant by an unclean spirit. Demons are really just fallen angels. I want to tell you, Satan is real. Satan, who is actually Lucifer. Rebelled against God, and when he did, he took a third of the angels with him. These fallen angels are demons, and they're unclean spirits. So they truly exist. Jesus, again, he affirms that for us. Another thing that I want you to see, to know about this passage, and particularly this little comment about an unclean spirit, is that demon possession is possible. Possession is possible, though not possible for a Christian. It is possible that a human be possessed by an unclean spirit or by a demon. And well, I've heard it said that demon possession is, is like a demon or an unclean spirit wearing a human almost as a clothing, as a, as a garment, and, and controlling and possessing them and moving them. And this is not possible for a, a Christian to be possessed, the Bible teaches, but it is possible for humans, unbelievers even, to be possessed. So that's the second uh, truth. Uh, the third is this, in relation to the demon activity, is that oppression is different than possession, but oppression happens. Oppression is the effects or the the attack of an, an evil spirit or a demon on a Christian, and that can take place for anybody. They're active. Both in possession and oppression, demons are active. They exist. The fourth thing, though, as we can let our minds wander and go too far and be even discouraged by these facts here, we want to end with this one, number four, that Jesus will one day destroy them all. We see that there in verse 24. This this begins to stir up there in the synagogue and this demon-possessed man begins to cry out. What does the demon say? In verse 24 he says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Some people take this statement by the demon to mean that he's taunting Jesus, and I don't believe that he is. I believe that he's sensed the, the, the presence of the holy one of Jesus of the Messiah the son of God the second person of the trinity knowing fully who he is he then and knowing what his own mission is and what his and what the demons demise will one day be he says are you coming now to destroy us is now the day i know that your kingdom is coming are you going to destroy us now And so the last thing that you need to know in in relation to all this demon activity is this, that Jesus has power over demons and he will one day destroy them all. This is a prophecy that is true. Now again, the demons knew it. So demons, they know Jesus is God and they know that Jesus will one day destroy them. But what does Jesus say in response to this demon calling out? He rebukes him and he says, silent, be silent and come out of him. The unclean spirit, he convulses him and crying out a loud voice, he comes out of him we're going to revisit this, a similar scenario here soon in the, in the Gospel of Mark. And so I don't want to spend a ton of time this morning as, it's, as we, our time is limited. But I want you to see this, that Jesus speaks to a demon and what happens? It obeys him. An evil spirit, the demon obeys Jesus. And there's no special ritual observed here. God the Son, he opens his mouth. He calls out to the demon and the demon obeys him. What happens? Everybody that's there watching this has just unfolded. This is quite a, a stir there on that Sabbath morning there in the synagogue. They're all amazed, shocked that this just took place. They're shocked at what they just heard Jesus teaching and now literally following up this awesome teaching that has just begun to transform their minds. This demon shows up. And what does Jesus do? He lays his authority over the demon and it submits to him. And that brings us to our second main truth this morning as we look at this text, and that's this, that when Jesus speaks, lives are liberated. So not only are they transformed, but they're also liberated. Remember that authority, what did it do? It pointed, When it says that Jesus had authority, it pointed to his power and to his control. And we see here that the demon also had authority. It also had control over this man there in the synagogue. We don't know anything about this man. We don't know how he got into this position. We don't know how he uh, got this demon or this unclean spirit in him. But there are things I'm convinced of, and Scripture would teach this, there are things that we can do in our lives that would invite demon oppression and even demon possession. Perhaps you are held captive this morning by some of the same things. Maybe you're held captive. You're possessed. The, the authority of, a, of, a, of the demonic oppression is manifesting in your life as anger or materialism or pornography or maybe it's alcoholism or maybe it's some type of a, a chemical dependence. Maybe it's a bitterness or unforgiveness that you're holding on to. I would warn you that these very things are inviting oppression and even to the point of possession if you're an unbeliever of a demon so perhaps you're saying this morning that that alcoholism or some chemical de- dependence or depression or bitterness has has rooted into your life and, has, and and is being used by the some evil spirit to lay an oppression or, or an authority over you perhaps you're listening this morning and you would even say that there's been points in my life where I where I've been convinced or others around me have been convinced that I have been possessed even by a demon I want to tell you the good news that whether you're addicted to something or whether you feel like you are oppressed, that Jesus has the power to free you. That Jesus' words have the power to liberate you, even this morning. The same authority that Jesus displayed in his teaching was immediately backed up and shown that demonstrated that it is true because he commands this demon. He lays his authority over this demon and it submits as well. And so it p- proves to us that Jesus can not only transform through the truths of his word, but he can also liberate through the truths of his word this morning. There's something different about Jesus. Remember Mark's writing to the Jews in Rome. They were under the threat of persecution. They're under control and, and fear by the decree of an evil dictator. One word, one, one word of his power, and they could be destroyed from the face of the earth. And, and Mark is reminding them this morning that though your brothers and sisters are falling, they're being persecuted fa- falling to, to the sword and being burned alive and torn apart by wild animals, Paul or I'm sorry, Mark is reminding them. Though the decree of Caesar is powerful, no decree is more powerful than the very words of God himself. And Jesus is demonstrating that for us. We see in this passage, and Mark lays it out, that Jesus' word, his decree to follow is powerful. As he calls the disciples and they submit to him. Jesus' word, his decree is over in, in, in truth as he teaches is powerful. And lives are changed. And Jesus' word, his decree over evil is powerful as he calls out to this demon and it submits to him and it leaves the man and is silent. And finally, we'll see in, in, in the next week that Jesus' power over disease and health and life itself is powerful. It's powerful. As we come to a close this morning, I want to just offer this to you. there's likely more room for personal growth and transformation in your life than you realize this morning. There is more room for personal growth in your life than you realize. And I've got good news for you. That whether you realize it or not, that Jesus' words had the power to transform. What's more, it's likely this morning that demonic activity, that there's more demonic activity than you can even imagine. That's taking place around you. It's taking place in your home. It's taking place on your street. It's taking place in our cities, around the world, and around this. Uh, it's full of demonic activity. and that's, I don't share that so that we can be discouraged or even live in fear, but to know this, that whatever authority that is contrary to the word of God is present in your life, that Jesus has the power in his words to liberate you from that authority. Last week we looked at the authority that the disciples that Jesus was calling, what they were submitting themselves to, even to the good authority of their Father. When it, would come in contra- when it would come in contrast to what Jesus was commanding them to do, that Jesus' word could liberate them from that. That's true for you this morning. Whatever you face, that Jesus, whether it's demonic activity or, or possession or whatever it is, that Jesus can liberate you from that. And lastly, I want you to see this. We, we will see this, and we have, and that, that in the Word of God, in the, in the words of Jesus, that there is more power than we will ever know. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that there is more power in the words of Jesus than we can ever know? If you do believe that, I want, I want to offer you two things that you can do, two action steps that you can take as a result of this passage. The first is this, and they both relate to the Word of God. The first is this, that you receive it, that you receive it. Jesus is offering his words this morning, and then there in that synagogue, as Jesus preaches, the men that were listening, they had two options. They could either receive it or they could reject it. My invitation for you this morning that I'm extending from the very word of God is that you receive this. In order to receive it, you need to believe that it's true. I would ask you that you taste and see that the words of God are true, and that they are good. Christian, this morning, if you truly believe the words of God are the words of God, then receive them. As a pastor, from time to time, I'm called upon to, to offer biblical counseling. And as I, as I sit here in my office uh, with the, that couple or that brother or sister that needs, uh, needs counseling, needs care, I'll ask them first, uh, most often, do you believe that the Word of God, that the Bible, is authoritative in our lives and that it is sufficient? I start there because we need to know. We need, I need them to know that any authority that I have, it's not mine, my authority, it's coming from the Word of God. If they want to receive help, Here in this place, they'll have to submit to the authority of God. They'll have to receive it. So my invitation for you this morning is that you receive the Word of God. That looks like you considering it to be true, but then you also consuming it. You also consume it. If you're going to receive it, you're going to consider it true, and you're going to consume it. What does that look like? What does consuming the Word of God look like for you? I want to encourage you. There are a myriad of tools available to you one of them would be life groups. One of them would be D groups. You can find more information on our website if you're not involved in those two things, hagerstownchurch.org. There's, a great, uh, there's some great resources available for you. But spending time in, a, in community and even on your own, working through the Word of God, just as me and my son did this week, that would be a great opportunity for you that you consume the Word of God. And so this is part of receiving it. So receive it. Receive it into your mind. Receive it into your heart not just receive it respond to it respond to it on a daily basis as you work through the scripture christian you're going to have the truths of god reveal action steps that you're to take things that you're not doing that you should be doing things that you should be or that you should not be doing but that you are doing that you need to stop um, when you come across these things in the word of god don't just receive it don't just hear it but also respond to it and obey. So what are we to do? We we recognize that the words of Jesus, they're different than any other words, and only his teaching can bring lasting transformation and true liberation. And so what are we to do about that? Well, we're to receive the word, and we are to respond to the word. Hagerstown Church, this is my prayer for you. If you're tuning in from some other place or either uh, either somewhere in Hagerstown or around the world, we're, we're glad to have you this morning. I would pray that you would do the same, that you would receive the word of God and that you would respond to it. The words of Jesus are different from any other words. Only his teaching can bring lasting transformation and true liberation. Hagerstown Church, I love you. We want to hear from you and how, how God's working in your life in this time. and We'll see you back here next time at 1030 on Sunday morning.